So, AFC <laughs> Sean, he's in mass. Master Avengers. <laughs> okay, so round out the That's morning. That's because he's, he's afraid of a computer virus. Okay. <laughs> um, and we do have um, other folks who are uh, joining us. They just aren't logged in yet. Okay, very good. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna get started with the preliminary stuff, and then as uh, the uh, rest of the delegation um, comes on board, we'll 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 uh, do introductions. Um, so rounding out our morning, we're now joined uh, and will continue to be joined by several members of our state legislative delegation, uh, which includes Medford, obviously, and a number of other surrounding cities and towns um, within their jurisdictions. Um, so far, I certainly want to uh, welcome uh, Representative Sean Gabali uh, and um, Representative Christine Barber. Okay, and uh, I believe that we will be joined momentarily by um, uh, Senator Pat Jalen and uh, and I believe Representative. Um, okay, uh, Representative uh, Senator Jalen has joined us. So. And, uh, <laughs> And I, I think you uh, may be expecting Terry. Yes. Um, so uh, Leader Donato had some phone difficulty yesterday. So okay. I'm actually doing the Zoom call from his home. So oh, we're really? here together, socially okay. distancing from one another. Oh. <laughs> and uh, when it's his time to speak, I'll give the phone to him. Okay. Uh, now, see, this is what I'm talking about. Um, all dirt, all this morning. People have been talking about collaborative and being and collaborating. So that is definitely a great example of collaboration. <laughs> Terry, I support the senior members of my delegation. They are the best. <laughs> wow. It may be a little bit of a dig in that. I'm not 100% sure, but very good. Very good. Well, let's, let's get started. Um, once again, please wel uh, welcome um, uh, Senator Jalen. Um, Rep uh, Gabali, Rep Donato, and uh, Rep uh, Christine Barber, who so ably serve um, the cities and towns in this Mystic Valley area um, as uh, the state legislative delegation. So uh, thank you pa for patiently waiting um, for your turn in the Zoom room, um, and we have some questions for you. So the first question, we continue to hear about the devastating impact the current crisis um, has been and will be having on the upcoming state budget. Um, so folks want to know, should they be worried about this um, and will they be seeing reductions in state-funded community supports, particularly senior services, child and family services, and, um, and the like? So I, I guess uh, I'll start I'll just do things al alphabetically as I have been. So I'll start with you, um, Representative Barber. What about that? What about the budget and um, particularly fragile services like children and family services, senior services? Thanks, Terry. Um, and thank you so much for having us this morning. I've been watching and you guys, you're, you get an award for uh, talking to all of us, but you guys have covered a lot of really great issues. So thanks for having, having us and having this forum. Thank you to the West Medford Community Center. I think it's really important to be able to do this virtually. Um, so um, it is true that we have 
pretty incredible budget challenges right now at the state level. Mm -hmm. um, many of the taxes that we rely on, the revenue we rely on for services have not been coming in and are not forecasted to come in. The latest reports puts um, a budget hole of about $6 billion for the upcoming fiscal year, which is really significant to our state budget. Um, that said, we are all working really hard to make sure that the basic services are there for people in our communities. Mm -hmm. We all know there's so much need right now. I think, you know, all of my colleagues, we've been on the phone trying to help people get unemployment, help people get food, help people get basic services for the last couple months. Um, there's so much need and we have to make sure we're protecting seniors, we're prote protecting kids and we have all those services there. Um, so it's going to take a lot of work and we have to keep advocating to the federal government too, to help us. Um, we have not gotten as much aid as, as we would like from the federal government at the state or city levels. And I know you heard that from the city. So there's more to do, but we'll, we'll keep advocating. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. So um, Sean, we can either start with you and go to Rep Donato or we can start with him and then go to, go to you. Yeah, look, I, I can take it and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Leader Donato, and I'm sure he'll hand it over to Senator Jalen as well. Um, Terry, thanks so much for moderating this. Thank you to Bill Hagar and the, and the wonderful folks at the West Medford Community Center. I, it's such an honor. You know, I, whenever I talk to Pat Jalen, we're always so honored to be able to have the West Medford Community Center uh, in our district. We, we are so happy to be able to work with our colleagues Rep Donato, Rep Barber, in securing an earmark for the West Medford Community Center. Um, and it's, it's the wonderful things that happen at the center just would not be possible without the leadership of the West Medford Community Center and the community itself and bringing people together. And I want to echo the sentiments of my good friend, Christine Barber. Uh, it has been really incredible to watch the other elected officials. We have a strong collaboration with the members of the Medford City Council and the members of the Medford School Committee, and we are heading into very difficult times. I was first elected to the Massachusetts House in 2008, and that was the last time we saw an, <clears throat> a countrywide economic collapse, and Massachusetts felt that really, really hard. And my first budget we lost billions of dollars. And then when it went to the Senate, you know, because we do the budget usually in April and they usually do the budget in May, we lost an additional $3 billion. So we have been through these economic collapses before. They are not fun. They are painful. Cities and towns across Massachusetts feel them. Services that are critical for our families, for our communities feel them. And the way I go through... And, Rep. Barber is right. The forecast right now says around $6 billion we're going to lose in a budget around 40 plus billion. It's a significant, painful uh, lack of revenue. The Senate president the other day forecasted close to $8 billion. So we're going to wait to see what the actual number is. But in how I work with my colleagues in the House and the Senate on the budget, my priority and will always be my priority is securing safety nets to make sure the most vulnerable in our cities and towns, all 351 of them across the Commonwealth, have the services that are necessary. 
And this means we take care of our folks, our seniors, our children with disabilities, mental health concerns, our homeless, our, the folks that are incarcerated. You know, we, we need to make sure that as a Commonwealth, our budget is a statement of values. And we need to value the most vulnerable. And I know you had members of the school committee, you had members of the Medford City Council. Obviously, their priority is Chapter 70 and unrestricted general government aid, making sure that the state doesn't cut local aid. I understand that. And I'm proud to be their partner. We also have Department of Children and Families. We have Department of Mental Health. We have Department of Elder Affairs. We have Department of Disability Services. And we need to make sure that the most vulnerable are protected. So as we go through the deliberations on what needs to get cut, I can share that my priority, and I know my, the delegation's priority, is making sure that we don't cut the safety nets, which are so critical for people across the Commonwealth. So Terry, thanks so much. Thanks so much for doing this. Okay, you're breaking up just a little bit, but um, I want to, uh, there's Paul Donato. How are you doing, Terry? How are you, sir? Good. Good. Have you made that, have you made that poem about me yet? I'm working on it. Okay. <laughs> well, let me let me uh, continue to echo the remarks by uh, my two colleagues in the House and indicate uh, that uh, things are are in dire. Let's say, let's be honest. Things are in dire straits. Okay. If uh, the Senate President uh, is even uh, r just wrote right on the basis of uh, somewhere between six and eight billion dollars, uh, that reflects somewhere in the vicinity of. 20% of last year's budget of $42 billion. So when, when you look at what we have to be faced with, we are, there's no question that we are going to have a serious, serious budget deficit if the federal government does not come forward and provide state aid so that we can provide city aid to the cities and towns throughout the Commonwealth. And that's what we're relying on. Those of us who are in the leadership and our leadership meetings, we continue to talk about the fact that we've got to make sure that we protect Chapter 70, which is the school budget. We've got to, we made a commitment with the Student Opportunity Act. We want to fulfill as best we can that commitment. And then we want to make sure that uh, we hold harmless all of the various uh, departments that take care of our as uh, as uh, Representative Godley said, are most vulnerable. Generally, unfortunately, what happens is those are the ones who take the hit. Yeah. It's those when we when we have no money, it is basically it, it goes to the children's and families, the elderly, the incarcerated. Those are the ones that take the hit. The mentally, the families, uh, and that's the way uh, it has been in the past. The speaker is talking about trying to make sure that we can stay on course of providing the, the cities and towns and for those that we believe are the most vulnerable in our community and we want to make sure that we don't harm them anymore, that sometimes they get harmed. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for those thoughts. I want to go down to our, our Senator Jalen, have you weigh in on this? Well, I, I concur with my colleagues. This is going to be extraordinarily difficult unless 
the federal government comes up with a lot more assistance for us and it's hard to imagine I think in terms of local aid, people should be aware we are not back to where we were before 09. Local aid is still down from that. And I think one of the things we've learned in terms of the safety net is that we haven't been doing a good enough job. We have been underfunding mm -hmm. uh, programs like daycare. As we begin to move into, the, into reopening, mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest issues is going to be how are parents going to work if there's not adequate daycare and how are daycares going to open with fewer kids and they were already on the margins, already very difficult to run a daycare program. So we are also, I think, at the same time becoming aware of how many of the human service workers have been so underpaid, we call them essential and we pay them not enough to live on. I'm going to go back to the nurse. This is not on the topic. I'll I want to talk about nursing homes. Okay. <laughs> well, it's 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 fine. I I, I certainly think that it's it, it it goes in line with the questions that have been asked. So if you wanted, you know, if you want to talk about it a little bit, that's fine. So when we talk about. Um, trying to deal with it, a gigantic deficit. Nursing home workers have been paid so little that they work, many of them, work more than one job. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the biggest causes of, of the spread in nursing homes. I'm not blaming the workers. The workers are trying to pay their rent and pay for their food. And if they're paying thir being paid 13 or $14 an hour, they have to find a way to do it. And they're working two jobs. They might not be working in two nursing homes, but they might be working in a grocery store. The most um, essential people who've been found to be essential are the least well-paid in our Commonwealth. Yeah. So with a budget deficit, how are we going to make sure that people uh, who are needing, who we need, Mm -hmm. are paid enough to provide the services that we need. Mm -hmm. It's about time for us to think about the level of funding of, uh, of the services that we need. Yeah. Well, um, one of the questions that, that's been asked is um, knowing that the state legislature, legislature can only exert so much influence on what's happening at the federal level, um, what is the realistic hope on the horizon for a, a significant second round of federal assistance um, to the state? Well, Terry, I think yeah. that one of the things as you probably uh, might be aware of is uh, that the Democratic uh, controlled House of uh, Representatives in Congress uh, uh, focused on the HEROES Act and brought the HEROES Act forward and uh, the Senate and the President have not embraced it as of yet. And I think that the only way that we're going to get the uh, opportunity to have additional funds for the states so that we can provide funds for the cities and towns is for our uh, delegation, both the uh, U.S. Senate and the uh, con Congress uh, men and women, uh, put as much pressure on the uh, federal government uh, through the, uh, the Senate and the, uh, and the President. And that's the key 
as to what we need to do. Because if we cannot do that, as, as Pat says and my colleagues are saying, we are going to be faced with a serious, serious problem of at least 12 to 15% reduction on what we did uh, last year in our budget. And, and you know that the, the restaurants and the retail stores have been, have been closed. And uh, so that, that is uh, exacerbated what our revenues are for, uh, for uh, 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 my, my phone is ringing. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, that is exacerbated what, uh, what uh, our revenues uh, are anticipated. Okay. So let me uh, hand it to uh, Sean. Okay. I, I hear you, but you're you're breaking up somewhat. So I'm I'm hope, hopeful that. North Medford, I think, has some spotty reception right now, unfortunately. Okay, we hear you a little bit now. So keep talking. Um, I agree with everything that Holly Paul and I said in terms of the hopes. I would say, possibly. Uh, I am, I am so sorry. We're just having a really hard time with your signal right now. Okay, well, while we're waiting to see perhaps if uh, uh, Sean and uh, and Paul are able to get their signal a little bit more consistent. Is, okay. is that better, Terry? Oh, yeah, it is better. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, do you want to take that, Pat? Were you filling in for me? Uh, no, I, why don't you, track, why don't you, why don't you continue, and, I'll, and then okay. I'll go to uh, Christine and back to Pat. Okay. I appreciate everyone holding tight during these technical difficulties. I appreciate Whoa. it. So the other part that I was about to say was, the importance to raising revenue progressively and equitably. And I, I would say to me, it's really, really important uh, that we continue having the debate. You know, in the 1990s, we did tax cut after tax cut for the wealthiest individuals in the Commonwealth. And I think it's, we've had conversation in terms of how to raise revenue progressively meaning that the top income earners, the wealthiest in the Commonwealth, pay their fair share. And we voted uh, last session uh, recently to put a ballot question on the ballot um, known as the fair share amendment that would, ra that would raise uh, the income tax on those who make more than $1 million. That is, if you make more then $1 million, you're going to have a slight increase in your taxes so that this revenue can go to education and transportation. And so I think it's really important that the Commonwealth, the state lawmakers in the House and the Senate, look at more ways of raising revenue on the wealthiest individuals in the Commonwealth, especially during difficult times, so that we can continue providing the services that are so critical. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to bounce over to Christine. Um, and Christine, once again, um, what, what, what hope do we have in terms of, you know, kind of budget assistance? And what are you and your, 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 your counterparts at the state, at the federal level, uh, what conversations are you guys having right now? 
Thanks, Terry. Um, I agree with with what my colleagues have said. You know, the the federal government there, the House is trying to pass a really comprehensive bill and running into challenges, and we need the federal support. Um, I also agree with Rep. Garbley's point that we really need to look at progressive revenue at the state level. Um, we, you know, we there are some corporate loopholes of some big corporations that are still doing well now and you know, have money in offshore accounts and things that we might be able to tighten those loopholes and find ways to um, to raise the revenue to really meet the basic needs right now. And I think we have to be thoughtful about that. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the amount of need that has opened up with um, with this crisis, and we all know this crisis is not hitting everyone the same. Um, I've been really focused on immigrant communities, um, low-income communities, some folks who were really on the edge before, and this crisis um, has really turned into a disaster. Mm-hmm. So everyone's hurting right now. Um, you know, we've all seen there's so much more need for for food banks and other basic resources. So we can't ignore this, and mm-hmm. we have to respond in the budget. Um, and I think it's going to take some hard conversations about about that. But um, but we'll keep fighting. To, to make sure we do. Okay. Well, Pat, I think a picture is emerging about what you're trying to do at the state level and the conversations that you're having. Um, but once again, what what conversations are you having with your counterparts um, in the federal, um, um, in the House, and in in, uh, in the Congress right now? I I'm mostly getting information from them, and okay. uh, I think the thing that I can't express enough how how wonderful they're being, I, but they do face a Republican Senate and a Republican president who don't have the same vision of recovery and what we need to do uh, to help states and cities. Mm-hmm. So that's a very hard conversation for them. So we need to support them um, and to support our our senators uh, as they try to help us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is indeed a, a, a dire state. Um, so, you know, the, the question was asked and it's been asked both in terms of the school department. So when I had the school committee on earlier, the um, city council, when I had them in the mayor on, you know, just before you and now, at the state level, you know, how, how do you kind of keep current on the very important business, other business of the state, um, infrastructure, housing development, new business engagement, environmental safeguards, climate change, the arts, civil liberties, amid everything that the coronavirus is forcing you to focus on? I think, you know, I mean, p- people are wondering how, how does the ship of state continue to float? Terry, it's a, it's a great, great question. It's an important question. Uh, the legislature, the House of Representatives, just, and uh, Leader Donato has been leading the sessions, but we've been doing remote sessions where we've been voting electronically on a phone call that allows us to continue doing the business of the Commonwealth during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you are right. We have been just completely overwhelmed in many ways by the pandemic and what it's doing to nursing homes and group homes and soldiers home, understanding that it's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, We have been burdened with 
the loss of many, many of our community members because of this disease. But just like you, the delegation, we all have our priorities. Mm -hmm. You know, I filed my 100% renewable energy bill. I filed the Cherish Act to invest in all 29 of our public higher education institutions across the Commonwealth. We want to get those bills passed. We want to start having those conversations. And so that's why we started doing remote sessions, because we want to start, uh, even though we know that we need to do more, we, do need, we need to do more around the coronavirus and helping those impacted by this horrible pandemic. But we also want to get going on some of the other crucial needs. Mm -hmm. I think it's important. <clears throat> if you look at our hospitals across the Commonwealth, heart attacks and strokes haven't stopped just because of the coronavirus. And it's really important to keep that in mind. So the other pieces of legislation that we have filed, we still wanna take those up. Usually session ends July 31st. And even though there's been no announcement, I and I'm sure my colleagues are advocating that we continue session into the fall to allow us, one, to pass more legislation related to this pandemic, mm -hmm. but also to pass these critical pieces of legislation that have priorities for all four of the members of the Medford delegation. You know, that, that's, uh, that's one is commendable um, that you're having that conversation. I'm going to come back to you in a minute, uh, Rep. Donato. But I just wanted to say the concept of the vacation for everybody else in the country has changed or virtually disappeared because of, you know, the, the contingencies that are being made necessary by the coronavirus. So I think a lot of people are wondering, well, if we can't take vacations and we can't do the leisure things that we want to do, then, then, then why should our elected officials, you know, have those luxuries? So I think it's very it's good for the people to hear that you're at least thinking about how to extend that legislative session to accommodate all of this additional stuff that has to happen and things that have to be talked about. I, I, I think that's good for the citizenry to be able to hear that. Um, Representative Donato. Yeah, I just want to reiterate the fact that uh, we are working toward finding solutions to our budgetary concerns. And more important is, yes, we have been overwhelmed by this pandemic and that has taken up most of the the the, the time and the effort, not only of the, the Baker administration, but of the legislature as well. Mm -hmm. But we are cognizant that we have a duty to continue to work on behalf of the people of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. And we can't do that unless we have a budget. And we know that we can't have a budget based upon what, what's happening right now. We know that we're going to have to work diligently. And if it means that in the has said this already. If it means that we forego the the uh, time that we generally have from first January, then so be it. It's more important that we stay in the state house, work behalf of the problems that we have, try to fee, uh, focus on what the budgetary concerns are going to be, and how do we fix this situation facing what the pandemic has done, economy in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Representative Barber. I, again, I agree with my colleagues. We've been working collaboratively on this, but I agree. There's, there's so much need we talked about with the pandemic, 
but there's also issues that existed before that haven't gone away. Um, I've been working with a big coalition on a group to make prescription drugs more affordable. Just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean people still have problems affording their inhalers and informing getting their insulin for a reasonable price. Um, so it's still a critical issue we have to address. Um, we've been working a lot on the housing crisis and how to um, bring more affordable housing in the region, which has been a crisis long before the pandemic. Um, and while we've taken a bunch of steps for emergency um, to prevent evictions during the pandemic, um, there's so much more to do on housing. So we know we have a long list ahead of us, things that we're, we're now that some of the, the most um, really emergency needs are, are under control. We are, as has been said, we're voting, we're trying to move some of those other issues and I hope we keep doing that this summer and fall. Excellent, excellent. So Pat, uh, Senator Jalen, I, I, you know, I mean, I know you're, um, you've been in this game for a minute and um, you, you've seen some things. What is so different about this um, in terms of the way that is impacting the work that you, you know, try to get down on, get done on an everyday basis. Well, let me say earlier you asked how we know what's happening, and I just want to say that that's a big piece of what's happening uh, for me and my work is that we are getting so many communications from people. Um, people have figured out that we can sometimes help them. Most of our calls and asks for assistance have been about unemployment, okay. uh, partly because I'm chair of, of uh, labor and workforce development, but also mm -hmm. because people are having real problems, even though the Department of uh, Unemployment Assistance has staffed up, they have more than 10 times as many people, they hired more than 500 new people in the last month. Mm -hmm. But it means that some, there are two problems. One is that the system is kicking out people that shouldn't be kicked out. Okay. And the sec and so then they can't get assistance. And the second problem is that sometimes the new people may not have the right information mm -hmm. or may not get back to people. Yeah. So a lot of what I learn is from people calling and asking for assistance. Um, but also people may have more time to express their opinions about all kinds of issues. Yeah. And so we are get hundreds and hundreds of emails every day. Um, I really do. Please don't write to us because I don't know where my mail goes when it gets to the state house. Uh, we're not there. Okay. But, uh, and so people call us and we do pick up our messages, but it's much easier when they write by email. But, my staff is working really hard both to help people with their problems, but try to change the UI system so that people get their assistance. Mm -hmm. And as elder affairs, I've spent so much time on the issues of nursing homes and assisted livings. Um, and I'm very frustrated with the administration because they don't want to release information yeah. um, to the public, which people want and need to have. Mm -hmm. So Medford has been particularly hard hit in the nursing homes. Absolutely. Um, and it's been just heartbreaking to talk to family members uh, and to and to workers and administrators in the in the nursing facilities. Um, so one thing that I want to say is that 
the pandemic has given us some direction, I think, that we need better funding for our nursing homes, but we also need better accountability. And both of those are happening right now, mm -hmm. much too late, probably a month too late to save lives, but we can learn from that. And we can learn from that, from the pandemic about the importance of schools to our economy, not just getting kids ready <laughs> to be productive uh, citizens, but also that parents can't work if they don't have childcare mm -hmm. and schools. Schools are, are serving that function too. Absolutely. So we're seeing so many things that we really need and we haven't been willing to adequately support. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I want to go back to Sean's point about, yes. about adequate revenue and uh, that it, and Christine's uh, backing it up that we need it to be uh, fair. There are people who are still doing well. It's hard to believe. I don't know them, <laughs> but yeah. there are people who are still uh, finding ways to be profitable in Absolutely. this situation. I mean, these are these are times when you know cer certain entities you know thrive on on chaotic situations, and they manage to you know to make. Lots and lots of lemonade out of the lemons that you know the, the rest of us are seeing. Um, I want to pivot, if I may, um, to higher education um, in a question about um, what you know, what kind of guidance, what kind of direction, um, what 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 are the prospects for the colleges and universities and uh, in in in, uh, in community colleges given. You know, all of the uh, things that are being prohibited by uh, coronavirus right now. So I, yes. I, I'll take that. You know, I serve on the Joint Committee on Higher Education, and this is something that we are monitoring literally on a daily basis. I've had conversations with Marty Meehan, our president of UMass, and, you know, some schools have already canceled fall sessions and have gone completely uh, to remote sessions. So uh, we anticipate that a lot of our students won't be returning to the classroom in the fall in terms of higher education, even though public higher education is yet to make a decision on that, as well as other private institutions. A part of the CARES Act was a significant amount of money did go to our institutions of higher learning, both private and public, but a lot of that money is paying on the la lack of revenue coming in for room and board and some of the other, just trying to keep the lights on on a lot of these campuses. Um, we, as a legislature, as I've said many times before I filed the Cherish Act, we need to, I'll be honest with you, we invest more in the Department of Corrections than we do in public higher education. We have 29 campuses across the Commonwealth. 85% of our young people that graduate from one of these 29 institutions, whether it be one of our UMass campuses or a state university or a community college, once they graduate, they don't head overseas and make millions of dollars. They, many of them don't leave the state. Those 80, 85%, 80, 80 to 85% of those young people, once they graduate, they stay in the Commonwealth. 
and they invest in our cities and towns. And we should invest in them, which is why the Cherish Act, I believe, is so important. During difficult economic times, you invest in areas where you're going to be strongest when you come out of a recession. Education is certainly one of those areas, but public higher education has been kind of the stepchild, if you will, of that investment. There are conversations ongoing looking at the phased-in opening that the governor has laid out, and many of the institutions of higher education are looking at models, the rest of the nation, how their counterparts are, are, are doing this. And I expect a decision will be made very soon on the campuses who have yet to make the decision in terms of if next semester will be remote or if campuses will be reopening. I would be very skeptical about reopening campuses um, at the moment because of this pandemic. Okay, okay. And I want to say something about an idea that I've heard is the uh, personal reopening, that people are going to make decisions based on whether they feel safe and whether they think that the experience will be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The public higher education system is dependent on foreign students, who many of them who won't be there. Mm -hmm. And I have two seniors in my high school seniors, oh, graduating seniors in our household. Uh, Going back to going to school, if it's remote, is not a college education. Just as going to high school remote is nothing like being in contact with with other kids and with your teachers. So many people will choose not to go, go to school, higher education, if it's remote. They'll wait until they feel safe. So it's, it's a very complex um, decision-making that involves not only the colleges and universities, but also the students. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Um, I may come back to you on this, um, uh, Senator Jalen, but I want to get uh, uh, Representative Donato's um, opinion on, uh, on on higher education and, and how we move forward there. Well, I have a, uh, a vested interest. I have a, uh, a college student at the Wingling School of Law, and I have one a grandson at the New England School of Law and a grandson at Emerson, and uh, they both uh, have been doing uh, their studies relative to remote. So I know on a personal level, uh, the Senator is correct. Doing uh, your uh, your studies remote are not going to give you the same educational opportunities as uh, as being there in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a, you know, I defer to, to uh, Representative Gobley because he was the vice chair of the of the committee on higher education, and he and and he did work diligently to try to see if we could continue to add more dollars into the higher education uh, system throughout the Commonwealth. We're going to have to, we're going to have to, as I said, Terry, we're going to have to look at what the budget is going to look like based upon what revenues that we have. And this is the reason why we haven't done the budget yet. And in, in all probability, it will be closer to the end of June when we even take an opportunity to look at it because we're waiting to see two things that are important. The revenues that come in, and you know that the, 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 the restaurants have uh, not been here, so we're not getting that, that tax. Mm-hmm. The revenues that come in, the income tax that, uh, that we deferred until July uh, 15th, and 
what the federal government's going to do to assist us. Yeah. That's going to be that's going to be the key. Those are the two keys that we have to look at, and that's the reason why, if we do a budget, we're, I, I can assure you, we're going to do a one twelfth budget within the next uh, few weeks uh, to uh, take care of us uh, from July to whatever. But we're going to we're going to start on that basis, but we're going to continue to work to make sure that we have a better focus on what our revenues are going to be and whether or not the federal government is going to step up to the plate. Okay. Okay, very good. Um, Representative Barber? I don't have much more to add, Terry. My colleagues have really covered it. I would say public higher ed, we're all worried about that system. It's been said it's been starved for a long time, and we've had conversations where we know there's a lot of need there for students and for the institutions. And I know, you know, Tufts here in our community, Tufts University, they're just having conversations about what they're going to do. Um, if they're going to bring students back and what that will look like. So there's just still a lot of unknowns um, and a lot of a lot of fear in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Senator Jalen, I want to come back to you because I want to ask you, have you heard anything um, in the way of um, assistance with, with student loans, both for the students and for the parents that have underwritten a lot of these loan costs for students? You know, that they, they already have responsibility and accountability for paying, but loans that will be upcoming for you know, tuition ongoing. I'm going to send that to Sean because I feel like he probably knows more than I do okay. about deferral and about interest uh, freezing. Okay. Sean, what about that? Well, we should forgive loans. You know, that's that's what we absolutely should be doing. So there, the federal government is looking at this, or I should rather say there are congressional representatives who are looking at this. There are also senators who are looking at this, but it has not risen to the level that it absolutely should. There are pieces of legislation in Massachusetts to work to forgive loans, but also to have debt-free higher education, which I strongly support. And we're trying to go in those initiatives. And I, I didn't say this before, uh, Terry, but uh, the Cherish Act, which would invest in public higher education, um, one of the people who did help write that bill, apart from myself, was Zach Bears, who's on the Medford City Council. He's also the executive director of uh, our Phenom, um, or, or it's very active in that, in that role. So we collaborate very closely with our Medford elected officials mm -hmm. uh, with state and local. Okay. Right. And I would like to t say that one good thing that the federal government did is that for federal loans, for federal uh, student loans, uh, people's payments are deferred from March through September, and there are zero interest payments as well. So the federal government has really been very, very helpful to people. But as uh, Sean points out, nobody has yet stepped up to say, oh, let's cancel them. Right. Or give them, uh, I think people deferring things is going to mean that things they'll have to start paying again. But yeah. this, this was a great deal of help, I think. Okay. So look, look, looking again at, at, at safety nets and, and critical services in populations that are traditionally underserved, um, I want to ask a question. Um, that's come in about um, 
housing, um, homelessness, and um, and low income housing, and how not only that it's been adversely impacted, but what types of programs or uh, supports are you uh, are you looking at the state level to ensure that you know people again are falling through the cracks in, in the in the area of housing supports and homelessness. Terry, I, I've uh, been a supporter and a co-sponsor of the uh, RAF program, which is the rental assistance program. Mm -hmm. And one of the major problems in, in my district, uh, particularly in, in uh, Malden, uh, is uh, we have uh, youth homelessness. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, students, uh, there's 15% uh, uh, of the students in, in, uh, in Malden are either homeless or are couch surfing. And this is a major problem that uh, is, uh, the, the, the city of Malden is facing in their educational system. But we've got to do more. We've got to do more to get uh, housing and affordable housing into all of our communities throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I I sometimes uh, cringe at uh, when we say, "Oh, wait a minute, we're gonna we're gonna build a, an affordable unit." When we when we tell a developer, "Please, uh, you know, you're gonna build a hundred units. Please give the community uh, fifteen or twenty that are affordable." Well, when you look at it and you see what's happened in uh, Wellington, particularly that the the average rent is thirty two hundred dollars a month for a two bedroom. Mm -hmm. Then what is affordable rent when you when uh, when uh, we force that developer to do that, uh, it ends up being twenty four hundred dollars a month. Well, who can afford the twenty four hundred dollars a month? And what we should be saying instead of affordable is low income housing mm -hmm. to help those who are making less than fifty thousand dollars a year or forty thousand dollars a year. And and that's the kind of housing that we need. And we've got to continue to look at what we're doing with regard to our housing facilities throughout the Commonwealth to make sure that we're accommodating those who really need housing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, did you want to weigh on this? And then I'll go up to Christine. Yeah, I would, I would just say, you know, I know Representative Barber served at one time on the Committee on Housing. I believe she still is. Um, but I would echo everything that Peter Donato said, one of the areas that I have worked on um, is MRVP, Massachusetts Rental Voucher Program, which is really critical for families. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be the policy of the Commonwealth, unfortunately, to open up hotel rooms for families. Mm -hmm. And we know just based on our shared experiences that hotel rooms are not stabilized housing for families. Mm -hmm. So I'd say over the last three or four years, we've really engaged in a lot of work of trying to get families out of hotels, motels, and into permanent stabilized housing. We know that families who are struggling, uh, whether it be employment or, or whatnot, that family can't be helped realistically until you build a strong foundation. And a home is a strong foundation, certainly not a hotel or a hotel that is temporary. So I will certainly continue to advocate for MRVP, and these are the problems, right? When you're talking about a pandemic that is causing anywhere from six to eight billion dollar cut in the budget, you know, we don't want to cut local aid, we don't want to cut higher education, we don't want to cut education, yeah. we don't want to cut mental health. Well, then you have to be where are you going to cut? Yeah. Well, what's left? Housing. 
And we don't want to cut housing because that would have a traumatic negative impact on families who have been uh, victimized by this pandemic and families who were victimized long before uh, this pandemic. The governor has a zoning bill, which I do support. I'm hoping that we can uh, improve upon it in terms of affordability components mm -hmm. of the zoning bill. Um, but I, it's such an important question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that response. Christine, uh, uh, Sean mentioned that you are um, on, on the um, housing committee. So what, how, how do you want to deal with this? Yeah, thanks, Terry. Um, so I'm a member of the housing committee, which I've served on for a few sessions now. And this, we all know there's been a housing crisis before the pandemic and the pandemic really laid bare the, the lack of safety net and a lack of affordable housing that we, a lot of us have known for a long time in this area. Um, so something that, um, one of the things that I'm proud of that we did right away um, after the pandemic began was we passed a law in the state house um, to stop evictions. So right now we have the strongest law in the country actually. You can't be evicted during the state of emergency from your home. We also passed some protections for homeowners. So you can do a forbearance and get help with your, your mortgage and put that at the end of your mortgage. Um, Cause we know uh, homeowners are hurting also. Mm -hmm. So we have a really strong emergency law, which is important. And I'm glad that we, you know, led on that. And that's not enough. So we're looking at tenant protections and we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we, what tools are there to make sure that when this crisis is over, people are not kicked out of their homes? How do we help with rent? How do we um, provide some more affordable housing to make sure that people have a place to, to live and to stay safely. And that I appreciate all that leader Donato is doing on raft and MRVP. There was a lot of subsidy programs that we're going to have to work on. Um, the city has put uh, forth some money and I know housing families, which serves Medford um, has some assist rental assistance programs for people who are in need. So it's going to take all of us to really think about this, but there's lots more to do and, and we're working on it in the housing committee. Thank you so much. Um, Senator Jalen, did you want to have a word on this? Well, I, I support what my colleagues have said and I'm glad Medford is working on the housing issue. And I just want to also give a shout out to the assistance for small businesses mm -hmm. uh, that Medford is taking a lead on. I was listening to the chamber on Friday, Thursday, mm -hmm. um, that there's a lot of interest in that because small businesses are really struggling. Um, but I think you cannot separate the housing question from the question of income. That if people are not making an, that the reason people need help with housing is because their income is too low. Mm -hmm. So you can pay one way or you can pay another, but if you want to stop homelessness, you should make sure that people can earn a living when they're working. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I have, uh, you know, just a few minutes left in our, in our conversation, which I've, I've really enjoyed. I've learned an awful lot from all three panels from the school committee to the city council. And now, um, here with the, um, with, with, with you state legislators, but I want to make sure that the last word is yours and not mine. So what I'm going to do is I'll just go around the horn and maybe take 30 35 seconds and just, you know, kind of sum up how you're feeling about things and, where you want to see things go from here. So Christine, why don't I start with you? 
Thanks, Terry. I actually think we should end with you. If you did a poem or something, it might be a nice, uh, you know, way to end up all this talking with politicians for the last couple hours. Um, I want to thank you. I want to thank the West Medford Community Center for having us uh, today and, and getting this out to so many people. Um, we know there's so much need right now and so many people are hurting and um, I'm proud to be part of the Medford delegation and the city where the mayor and the council and school committee, everyone's really stepped up and done an amazing job. But really the people of Medford have been incredible in looking out for each other, doing you know phone trees with their neighbors, checking on seniors and other families. And it's really incredible to be a part of that. So thank you to everyone for doing your part, staying safe, social distancing. Call us if you have needs or if you have ideas. Um, we are on email. We are working remotely, and we, you know, we need to keep talking to each other and looking out for each other. So thank Excellent. you. Excellent. We'll and we'll do what we can to um, keep people apprised of how to get in touch with folks and, and so on and so forth. So so we'll we'll try and be an instrument to keep that happening too. Senator Donato. Oh, uh, wait a minute, the Senator Jaylen. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> That's all right, Terry. Well, let, let me say um, that, uh, first of all, let me thank you and the West Medford Community Center for, for the work that uh, you have done and they do every day, the people in the West Medford Community Center and throughout the entire city of Medford. You know, sometimes when there are crises, people step up to the plate and things happen that you say, oh, my God, the, the community has come together, and they have, whether it be at the food bank, whether it be housing, it be just taking care of uh, the elderly. We made calls to all of the, anybody who was over the age of 65 to see whether or not they needed food or medicine. And if they did, uh, the mayor was uh, fantastic. She had volunteers to those homes and, and accommodating those people. I'm somewhat optimistic because I have worked uh, diligently with the, the delegation and you are, Medford should be proud of the members of the House and Senate that they have elected here in Medford because they are committed people who are going to make it and make uh, this pandemic is not going to go away, but we're going to step up to the plate and start to work diligently to make it so that everyone is treated fair. And that's the important thing that you have dedicated legislators who are going to work toward making fair for all of the problems that we're going to be facing with in the near future. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sean, give me 30 seconds. Terry, I just want to say thank you so much. I want to thank the West Medford community. Um, as you know, um, my father recently lost his life to coronavirus. And I really just want to thank the Medford community for all of, of all the folks who have reached out to me and my family. It, it means a lot. Um, we are vulnerable, right? We, this is a pandemic that is showing the ugly underbelly of all income inequality um, across our Commonwealth. And we need to rise above it and we need to strengthen our safety nets. And there's a whole lot of work that needs to get done. Uh, during this pandemic, and as we talked about on the call after the pandemic as well, in terms of important pieces of legislation that will strengthen those safety nets. But thank you. Thank you to the Medford uh, City Council, School Committee, the Mayor, and uh, the Community Center for putting this on. Thank you very much. appreciate having you, Senator Jalen. Well, what's left to say? I agree with everything everybody's saying. 
Um, thank you to everybody that is making it possible for us to communicate this way. Yes. I know a lot of work went into making this happen and makes it a lot of work goes into all of the work you do every week to to keep people in touch. Um, so I appreciate that people are don't call us. Christine said, call us, no, email us. Uh, that would be more effective. And I, I appreciate people staying in touch. And I agree with uh, the idea that this is exposed problems that we can work on together. Yes. And that the fact that we are mutually dependent, we are not uh, isolated souls. We are together and we need to help each other. Thank even you. After this is over. Appreciate you. So my friends, it seems that that's all the time we have for today, but the discussion absolutely will be ongoing as we all work together for the people of Bedford and for the people in your better uh, legislative districts. And um, Senator Pat Jalen, Rep, uh, Sean Gabali, Rep Donato, Rep uh, Christine Barber, thanks so much for being available to us this morning. And we also wish you every conceivable success and safely and effectively guiding the ship of state through the rough and unpredictable waters that we're in right now. We encourage, we will continue to engage with you and endeavor to keep these conversations moving forward for this beloved and historical city. Thank you everybody who has joined in and watching, is in watching us. Um, we hope that we've given you some good information and presented with you with diverse perspective. Um, until we meet again, um, and uh, from 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 afar, um, from your erstwhile administrator, a virtual round of applause for Terry Carter, who's done a, a yeoman's job of facilitating for the last three hours. So, um, give it up Thank for Terry. You, Thank you, Bill, for conducting business. Thank you, Patrick Gordon, for MCM. Um, have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you Thank around you. the way. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.